you know, we can't do anything about six months from now. We've got to go day by day. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. We play in New Jersey, man, so there's going to be some chippiness, there's going to be some griminess, but we're leaving it within the line, and I'll take a team like that. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I am your aforementioned host, Art Stapleton, and we are entering week number five in the NFL. And what do you know? The New York Giants went down to New Orleans, rallied back from 11 points down with just over seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. They end up winning in overtime on the outstretched arm of Saquon Barkley. His touchdown gives Big Blue their first victory of the season, a much-needed win for Joe Judge, for the players, for this entire organization. And now, at 1-3, and there's a little life in the building at 1925 Giants Drive. Heading to Dallas this weekend, boy, the Cowboys are looking great so far. 3-1, and one, the only loss on opening night to the defending champion Buccaneers. It's going to be some fun, Jerry World, on Sunday. On today's show, I have an interview with Andrew Thomas, really one of the stars of Sunday's win in New Orleans. Over the first month, Thomas has really silenced a lot of the critics regarding his play. He turned around from a preseason finale against the Patriots in which he did not look very well and everyone jumped all over him. So coming back to play the way he's playing, dare I say Pro Bowl and All-Pro actually mentioned in the same sentence as Andrew Thomas? Well, there have been some people watching and analyzing and have actually done that. So we'll get into that with Andrew. Talk about his love of music. Had really a fun two-minute drill. And that'll be a lot of a lot of fun. I think you'll really enjoy uh, listening to Andrew Thomas. Very thoughtful guy. And uh, obviously one of the cornerstones of this franchise. Then in our Behind Frenemy Line segment, we have Jory Epstein of USA Today. Really a respected beat writer, one of the best NFL writers in the country. And she breaks down the Cowboys for us, really from offense, defense, anything you need to know about Dallas, jury's all over it. Uh, So we'll have that interview as well. What I took from Sunday with the Giants is that Daniel Jones is the guy right now. And I think... That is the biggest takeaway coming out of that game. This team showed resilience. They attacked offensively. They finally did the things that a lot of us thought Jason Garrett and this offense should have been doing. When you're struggling and when you're losing, you kind of got to flip the script. You got to take it into your own hands. And I think they did that. Jones was outstanding. He is the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Threw for 402 yards. Just spread it all around. No Sterling Shepard, no Darius Slayton, yet Kenny Galladay goes over 100 yards. Kadarius Toney, as I told you last week in our feature on NorthJersey.com, this was the breakout game that I saw coming. 
he was at, he was fantastic. Uh, Saquon Barkley in the third quarter, the fourth quarter, and then obviously overtime looked like the old Saquon Barkley. That screenplay in overtime was one of the biggest plays of the game. And then to me, the biggest play of the game was Jones to Galladay on the third and five in overtime, the play before Barkley's touchdown. In that situation, I have to admit, as I was watching, there was a fear that the Giants were going to settle for a field goal in that spot. They did not. They went for it, completed a great pass. Galladay was open. They took advantage of miscommunication by the Saints, and away we go. So that's what we got on tap for today's show. Those are my thoughts. I'll give you my preview after the segment with Jory at the end of the show. But first off, let's talk about our friends at Tipico. Tipico Sportsbook, a global sports betting leader, is now live in New Jersey and Colorado. Make your favorite sports more interesting with Tipico's fast and easy mobile sportsbook app. For a limited time, new users from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Terms and conditions apply 21 and over. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. To steal a cliche, what a difference a year makes. Andrew Thomas a year ago was being buried. The challenges that he was getting right off the bat against Pittsburgh in the opener, baptism by fire. Then he had Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn in Chicago, and on and on and on they went. A year later, Andrew Thomas, and as I say to him in the interview, people aren't talking about Andrew Thomas much. And when you're an offensive lineman, especially the left tackle, that's a good thing. So I had an opportunity to speak with Andrew for this all-in podcast after practice on Wednesday morning. I hope you'll enjoy it. Right now I'm joined by Andrew Thomas, second year, left tackle, New York Giants, number four overall pick. Andrew, thanks for joining me on All In this week. I'm glad to be here. So for the foreseeable future, you've heard it constantly since you were drafted. You'll be linked with the three other tackles selected in the first 13 picks of the 2020 draft. You said something that stuck with me after last season, and I thought it was a great line. You said you were concerned with running your own race. I thought that was a great way to kind of put your journey in perspective. Where did you get that sentiment from? Is it something you've always believed in? Did someone mention that to you? I just thought it was great perspective. It was something that I've always believed in. Obviously, during the draft, there was a lot of hype, you know, trying to figure out where we were going. Definitely a talented um, offensive tackle class. So there was a lot of hype in that, and I knew from the beginning that um, if I just focus on, you know, worrying about me, then that's the the best way to play well. Um, I can't be focused on, you know, other things outside of making myself a better player. One of the best compliments an offensive lineman can get is that nobody talks about you week to week. And for a month now, it's as if your performance outside the building has kind of gone completely under the radar. In what ways are you a different player and really a person at this point in your second season than what you were maybe as a rookie last year? Uh, The biggest thing is just not making the same mistakes um, constantly, constantly over and over Um, last year. 
had issues with, you know, getting to my spot, sitting inside out. Um, a lot of things I had to work on with my hand placement. I'm still working on them um, today, but just trying to get better each and every day and not trying to, you know, put mistakes on, on film multiple times. How about personally, just away from the field? I would imagine it's just a natural progression, but you just feel more comfortable a year later? Definitely, you gain more confidence, um, you know, playing games in the NFL. Uh, the more you do it, um, the more confidence you gain in yourself and your craft, and the more reps you get, the more muscle memory develops, and it helps you as a player. When you were when you were drafted, I talked to your high school coach, Chris Slade, at, at Pace Academy, and he told me a story, and I got to see. I'm throwing it at you now. I, I want to see if it, it, how legit it actually was, but he said he, he kicked you out of practice one day and actually wanted to get you going, so he questioned if your love of music trumped your love of football. I think he told me that he, he said to you, you, if either you're going to play in the band or you're going to play left tackle, you have to make a decision because right now you're not good at either one of them. I don't know if that's legit. Obviously, you can set the record straight with, with Coach Slade now, but what do you remember from that, and how did that kind of shape the way, you know, you did it motivate you a little bit uh, to move forward going all the way back to high school? Yeah, Slade always makes the story sound like I was uh, playing in the band at halftime <laughs> and going back to put my helmet on to play in the game. But no, it wasn't like that. The biggest thing, uh, Coach Slade was just trying to, um, give me to understand the, the talent I had and the potential I had. He always told me I could write my own ticket. And um, he had faith, you know, my abilities to, to play at the next level. And that was just, you know, him trying to, to get me to reach that level. Like I still did music. I was still in a band. <laughs> um, I still, you know, play the piano to this day. But um, at the time I was a freshman and he just wanted me to, you know, really focus and hone in on, um, on football. At the time I, I, I was playing three sports, doing band, like, you know, a lot of stuff going on. And after that, um, I just focused on football, training, and, um, you know, got to where I am today. So as much as he elaborates, I would imagine it kind of kind of, kind of, of got his point across, just, just a little, went a little above and beyond. Definitely. Um, you mentioned piano. How many instruments do you play currently or have you played currently? So I grew up playing the drums. Um, my dad played the drums. So I played the drums all my life. Um, Play percussion in the band and then um in college obviously couldn't do that anymore so I, I started picking up the piano so two instruments is there any correlation between learning music and and learning and playing football that maybe you've used to your advantage through the years uh, well so in um in band like when i was in the concert band symphonic band whatever you call it um we used to have these festivals where you had to go play um, a few pieces and one of the parts that you got graded on was called sight reading. And basically they give you a piece of music that you've never seen before. And the band has to, you know, you have like 10 minutes and you have to play it and then grade you on it. And I compare that to on, you know, on, on game days where we have, you know, a plan set, we have plays that we're going to run. And then every week the team will put something on film that you haven't, you haven't seen and you have to adjust to it and, you know, follow your rules and, and make it work. And that's the, I guess that's something that's similar to, to football that's that's really cool uh so you're rep by rock nation obviously uh, i assume you've met jay-z uh is there a piece of advice that jay-z gave you about coming to new york and you know kind of hitting the the nfl that that stuck with you just the night i got drafted i remember talking to him and he was just 
tell me, you know, the New York media is is different, you know, from where I'm from, what I'm used to, but just keep my head down and work hard and, you know, things will work out for me. That, did it blow you blow you away a little bit that you were actually sitting there talking to Jay-Z or did you kind of adjust to it right away? It was crazy. Like, it was a lot going on at the time. I really couldn't process it because I just got drafted. I was talking to Jay-Z. It was just like, it was like <laughs> a surreal moment. And then after, I'm like, dang, like, that's crazy. Like, I just got drafted. Talking to Jay-Z, like, it was, it was pretty exciting. <laughs> Take me back to Sunday in New Orleans. I'm guessing you'll tell me all the things you need to improve on. But that was the most dominant I've seen you as a pro. How gratifying was it for you to be right there as Saquon crossed the goal line? What did you see from from your perspective as he's lunging over there? It almost looked, judging by the video, that you didn't know what to do. Were you going to pick him up, let him run? What what was that like? Yeah, so um, it was a tight zone play to the right, and I was blocking on the three technique, um, and I was you know driving or whatever, and then I saw Saquon about to cross the line, and then. I didn't know if he was going to be down at the one or not. So and then I saw him cross it and I was just like excited. Didn't know how to express it. Um, you know, a big win. We've been, you know, moaning for a win, you know, the first four weeks of the season. So I, I was just excited for the team. You played with a different left guard next to you for four straight games. I'm sure you hope that streak ends at some point in Dallas. Maybe Matt Skur gets that spot again. Uh, but what's the biggest challenge of playing next to a different player every game? The biggest thing is just the camaraderie. Um, once you play next to a guy for a long time, like for instance, when I played at Georgia playing it with Solomon Kinley for a long time, like you get to a point where sometimes you don't even have to, to say anything. You just kind of understand, you know, what's happening, how how he plays and his weaknesses and things like that. And, you know, it makes you gel together and play better. The, the biggest thing for me and, you know, for us the past four weeks is just making sure we over-communicate. We don't want to have any... Coach, uh, Coach Garrett always says no consternation. Like we want to, you know, make sure everyone knows where we're going, what we're doing. And that way, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what combination we have. We, we have to get the job done. Last year in, last year in Dallas, we caught a, a two-point conversion. If I remember correctly, again, this is another story from Coach Slade. But he told me when you got the pace, you thought you were going to play tight end, or at least you wanted to play tight end. Is there any part of you that that's still – appreciates the dream that maybe you once had of playing tight end rather than offensive line? Oh, yeah. I, I never let that go. I've always been a wide receiver at heart. Um, <laughs> feel like I'm skilled enough to do it. But, uh, yeah, that was something that I joked about all the time, you know, back at, in high school. And even at Georgia, talked about it all the time. And they all put a play in, but they never ran it. And then last year, um, Coach Gary put the play in. I didn't think it was going to happen because, you know, every year I've been in Playing football, they've always had like a tackle throwback play for me, but we never call it. And then we called it, and I was was pretty ecstatic. I'm sure you started just studying Dallas, and uh, two of their pass rushers, Randy Gregory and Micah Parsons, yeah. have, ste- have stepped up without uh, Demarcus Lawrence, who you saw a lot of last year. Yeah. What have you seen from the Dallas front? I know uh, Joe Judge talked a lot about the idea of them using stunts; that they have a high percentage of that. Uh, what challenges do they bring? Yeah, so very talented um, young group. Um, they have a lot of different combinations that they use. Like you said, Parsons will, you know, rush as a as a linebacker, and sometimes he, he lines up as an end. So just um, keying our protections, knowing um, who we're going to first of all, and then understanding uh, what what type of games they like to run out of certain formations, and then when they're straight rushing, you know, what moves they go to and things like that. 
Uh, Brian Balding is a well-respected O-line analyst for NFL Network. He used the phrase all pro to describe your performance against the Saints. Now, I, I know you a little bit. I know you're not going to sit here and tell me all the all the awards you want to win by the time you're you're done with your career. But, you know, you heard so many negative reviews last year, and I'm sure most of it is the criticism you had for yourself of watching film, especially early on. Yeah. How do you how do you compartmentalize the the negative versus the positive reviews when they come in when you see positive plays on film yourself? Yeah, honestly, I, I try to treat it the same. Um, Coach Judge always says um, it's never bad as the media make it, makes it, and it's never as good as the media makes it. So sometimes you know you might not play well. You go back watch it with your with your team, your coaches, and it might not be as bad as they're making the scene, and vice versa. Like you you have a great game there. You know, blowing you up, but then you go back and watch the film. And it's like, oh, there's things I need to, you know, get right for next week, and that's that's just how I try to treat it, not to get too high or too low. Just try to stay steady. That way, um, it doesn't matter, you know, what's going on outside around me. I can try to, you know, play consistent. Awesome. Well, every week we usually end the the interview with uh, what we call the two minute drill. Just four fun questions. Uh, you can elaborate on the questions if you can, but just one football, and then usually three, kind of off the beaten path. Some quirky, some fun stuff. We'll see uh, if you're up for it. Yeah. Uh, so one of the football question, who is the toughest player you've ever, ever had to block? Any level, any player, and why do you remember it being so difficult? Uh, toughest player um, so far, definitely last year, Miles um, Garrett, um, the Browns game. I would just say just because of um, – his physical presence, like just how fast he is and, and strong uh, physical specimen, but he's also, you know, refining his moves. So um, that was one of, you know, my toughest games, one of the most physical games I had um, in my football career. Cool. Uh, what is the favorite, <clears throat> favorite piece of music you've ever played and on what instrument? Favorite piece? Um, I don't remember the name uh, of it, but when I was in high school, we had a, a percussion ensemble where we performed. It was just, you know, the people in the percussion section. Um, and I was on the drums. They're called tenor drums. It's like the you see in the marching bands, like multiple drums, uh, four or five drums. And I had like a little solo in it. And that was like, I forgot the name of the piece, but probably the most, you know, fun I've had playing the drums. Very clear. If you could play with any musical act, dead or alive, any time, do you have one? Do you say, you know what, I'd love to be with that act, that band, that individual, who would it be? Uh, probably say Stevie Wonder. Nice. Why? How much do you know about Stevie Wonder? Uh, just one of the greatest all time. I mean, the influence that he had um, on music, especially jazz and things like that. It's just like, it's great. And then for me as well, like, you know, music is a lot different in today's time. So just going back, you know, listen to um, some of the older songs, you know, the different generations, it's impactful on me. I love it. That's probably my favorite answer that I've gotten so far in any all these interviews. All right. The last one's a little quirky. So we'll see what you uh, come up with. But Bill Belichick has a boat named Eight Rings and Jay-Z and Beyonce once rented a yacht named the Flying Fox. If you ever had a boat or a yacht, you know, 15 years when you've done with your career and you go that route, what would you name it? Uh, 
That's a tough one. Um, I don't even know. I'll just the SS Thomas or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> just gotta keep it bland. Keep right. It simple. Keep it simple. Low key. Awesome. Well, for Loki, Andrew Thomas, you did great for this interview. I really appreciate your time. Congratulations again on a great start to the season and the first win. And we'll be in Dallas and key it up for week number five. Thank you so much. Have a good time. So that's Andrew Thomas. And boy, like I said, from rookie to second year, he is certainly coming into his own and the Giants could not be more pleased Now, full disclosure, we booked the interview on Monday for Andrew to come on the show, and then the Giants held a walkthrough practice on Wednesday. He did not participate. He's on the injury report with a foot injury that popped up. Obviously, he had off-season ankle surgery, or more of a cleanup that he played through last year, but he was in treatment today, and instead of canceling out on the show, we kind of improvised. I was set up on the patio out by the practice fields, we actually did an audio call through the laptop and were able to get the interview for this podcast done. So special thanks to Dion Dargan and the Giants and obviously Andrew for not canceling out. He certainly could have considering the primary focus is getting healthy and getting ready to play in Dallas. So we'll see as the week progresses if Andrew Thomas is on the field If you listen to that interview, you don't really have an inkling that he's not going to be. Uh, And, you know, obviously you just have to see how things play out. Thursday is really the big practice day, so make sure you stay tuned to NorthJersey.com. We'll have all the information. And, uh, you know, like I said, Andrew Thomas is certainly a big part of what the Giants are doing right now. So hope you enjoyed that interview. Now it's time for our Behind Frenemy Lines segment And as I said, Jory Epstein of USA Today, nobody knows the Cowboys better. Nobody covers them closer. So here's my interview with Jory. It's time for our Behind Frenemy Line segment. And this week's guest is a respected beat writer and author. And I'm lucky enough to consider her a colleague, respect her work immensely. It's Jory Epstein, the Cowboys and NFL writer for USA Today. Jory, great to have you on All In this week. And boy, Thanks to the Giants in New Orleans and the Cowboys' hot start, we actually have a fun game to cover this weekend. Absolutely. Great to be on with you, Art. And I'm looking forward to this game. I think that the Giants gave both Cowboys and Giants fans a reason to be like, this game is going to tell us something. Cowboys sitting at 3-1, and one, Giants at 1-3. and three. The last time the Giants were in Jerry's world is the game that Dak Prescott went down with that horrific injury. You've been on the inside during Dak's journey back, and through four games, he's been outstanding. Uh, I think the leader in the league for NFL MVP, maybe I'm on an island a little bit, but what has impressed you most about what you've seen from Dak over the first month of the season? I think it goes back to his very first pass back, where he basically like audibles out of the call playing complete. So something like a 30-yard pass to Amari Cooper in Tampa Bay at the home of the defending Super Bowl champions. And you're like, this is not a guy who's coming back slowly. This is a guy who's coming back with fire. He is fully confident in his surgically repaired ankle. He's fully confident in the shoulder that he's had strain on during training camp. 
And he's also fully confident in his command of this offense and how he's seeing the line, the game at the line of scrimmage. And that really elevates this Cowboys team. One of the things we saw after Dak got injured against the Giants last year was that Dak's presence stabilizes a lot in this Cowboys organization, even if all of that isn't reflected in the box scores. And Dak's just been extremely impressive mentally and physically and in his leadership skills. I know you have a really cool story that, that published this week on the relationship between Dak and Logan Ryan, who was the Giants player who tackled Dak on the play that he suffered that ankle injury. I'd love it if you could tell our listeners more about their connection, how that's developed, and kind of what you know transpired. Obviously, you've talked to all parties involved. I think it's just a really cool thing to go between you know two players who were unfortunately intertwined in, in really a devastating situation. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I spoke to Logan by phone this week, and and I think it was fascinating because any time a player gets hurt in the game, it's, it's, I mean, it's scary and it's frustrating. And then you go to Dak's injury and how well-respected he was around the league. And, I mean, you remember that stadium was just silent. And then you're Logan, who was the closest player to Dak when he got injured, the one calling over the Giants trainers to be like, help this guy. His foot is not facing the right way. Um, and it was a routine tackle. There are ugly tackles in this game, and Logan Ryan's tackle that I thought was not that. But that, whatever happened, Dak's foot got caught freak injury, and he suffered a compound fracture and dislocation of his ankle. So then you have Logan, who had suffered an ankle injury in a previous season, being like, I hope I didn't mess up Beck's contract. I don't want people to think this is something I did intentionally. Uh, to the contrary, Logan told me that he had been working closely with Giants offensive coordinator Jason Garrett that week to be like, look, you coached Dak for several years. What can I do and how can I study this guy because his film is so impressive? And then he goes out there and Dak gets hurt. So Logan wanted to do something just to show Dak that he had no ill will on the tackle, and he actually sent back two books, Relentless by Tim Grover and Mamba Mentality, which is Kobe's book, just as a lens into how the greats train and how the greats come back from injuries. And those books really influenced Dak. I mean, Dak says Relentless really shaped how he trained his mind when he, he couldn't train his body and really taught him about who he was and said answered a lot of questions about how his brain is wired. And I think it's really powerful that, sure, could Dak have come across this book in another way? Yes. But he came across it because Logan Ryan sent him that book. That's such an awesome story. And like I said, I, I, I loved it when you first told me about it a couple of weeks ago in the planning stages. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's definitely something that I would imagine Logan and Dak will kind of get together pregame uh, on Sunday. So that'll be fun to watch. Uh, I suggest everyone listening, go to usatoday.com, read Jory's story. If you can't find it on usatoday.com, make sure you head out to northjersey.com. I'm sure we'll have it there. And then we'll have it also in the print editions of both uh, Jory's publication, USA Today, and uh, the record for us. Uh, Let's talk a little game we know Amari Cooper has been banged up the last couple of weeks. I'm still guessing he's going to gut it out and play. Uh, CD Lamb was an impossible cover for the Giants the last time they were out there. No Michael Gallup. Obviously, a couple of weeks, I think, still to go, I would imagine, on IR. Uh, how much is the production about the you know from the weapons about Dak and his ability to trust in the offense overall and, and 
really using every piece that they've put out, at, you know, for him to have. Absolutely. I think what's fun about these games and what's amazing is that when you look at who's scoring these touchdowns, you're like, wait, Dak threw that one to a Mar- receiver, Amari Cooper, that one to receiver Cedric Wilson, then he found tight end Dalton Schultz. Oh, wait, now he's at tight end Blake Darwin. Oh, wait, Zeke just ran in for one and also running back Tony Pollard. And the Cowboys have been saying for a while they want to be a take-your-poison offense who you can choose to stop someone, but you can't choose to stop everyone. And they're putting their money where their mouth is, and they're showing that on the field. The play designs are great coming from offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, um, and Dak is really leading this offense and guiding it to that way. So I think that you're going to have quite a few I mean, threats that you're trying to defend against, and you're not going to be able to defend against them all. They they have been a little more balanced in the past couple of weeks. And what was interesting is, again, the Panthers' defense, which came in last week top-ranked, yes, they rushed like crazy. They had 245 rushing yards against the team that was allowing just 45. But that's still through four touchdowns. So through the air, he didn't have a lot of yards, but the yards they had really counted. So you can't rely on just one part of the game and shutting that down. And then to, to cap it all off, and maybe it's where we should have started, this offensive line is playing at a really high level, which is allowing these run lanes to be open. and It's allowing Dak to have the protection and the comfort to make these throws. I was going to say that, you know, and, and honestly, in the preseason, I thought maybe we were hyping the Cowboys offensive line a little bit just from past history, considering all the injuries that they had last year. Uh, you know, was Tyron Smith on, on the back end of, of his career? We know how great Zach Martin is, but he was banged up. Uh, and boy, the, the Cowboys offensive line really looks better than ever. And going back to vintage, uh, what do we need to know about the offensive line uh, as far as how the guys are playing across? Certainly a couple of new names. Uh, and I would okay. imagine the new names are, are the ones that are making uh, the biggest difference because there are no weak spots. Right. So, I mean, first of all, I would be remiss if I didn't mention what Kellen told us about right guard Zach Martin, who is a perennial all pro for the most part. Um, he goes, I don't know what Madden's 99s are, but Zach should probably be sitting there. I know right guard's not the sexiest, coolest position in the world, but he's amazing. And there was one play against the Chargers a couple weeks ago who are a really good football team and a really good defense where Zach is holding one guy with his right hand, one guy with his left hand. Um, and he's really stabilized this offense. But what's impressive, like you said, is that a guy like right tackle Terrence Steele, who is playing in place of suspended, um, Lyle Collins, has really stepped up in his first year. They had him as an undrafted rookie out there last year, which was just not a good situation. Parents put in the work over the offseason to get in the weight room, to get stronger, and he's playing at a high level. You have left tackle Tyron Smith, who I'm sure Giants fans are familiar with, coming back from a year that he missed neck surgery, and he feels healthier than he has in five, ten years, and he wants to play for a long time. I would say where the weakness, if any, is, is that center Tyler Biotic has played well, but a little bit inconsistently, whether that was trying to deal with the Eagles' defensive line interior or he's had some botched snaps. Um, so, I mean, if I'm the Giants defense, that's something I'm trying to exploit. But it's almost one of those things where everyone's at such a high level that Tyler's high but not quite as high level stands out because this offensive line is, is a tough get. You know, it's funny, uh, Biotish is a player that a lot of Giants fans, and admittedly myself included, had on the radar in the draft when the Cowboys took a chance on him with, with the injury factor uh, being what I think some people shied away from. If Biotish came out healthy, 
uh, out of college. I think he probably would have been close to a first round pick. So certainly a, a key spot in that situation for, for the Cowboys. Let's flip sides of the ball. What do the Giants need to prepare for to face this Dan Quinn defense? Okay, well, I think it's pretty clear that the number one thing you need to prepare for is Cowboys cornerback Trayvon Diggs, who has five interceptions in these four games. He has intercepted every single quarterback they face. He got Sam Darnold twice last week, and this guy is just on a terror. Um, he's a former receiver. Some fans, especially in New York, will recognize him as the brother of Bill's receiver, Stefan Diggs. And he's studying these routes. He's anticipating what's coming, and he's making it a really difficult time for opposing quarterbacks who still seem to be targeting him nonetheless. They're not targeting him, but allowing targets to go toward the top receivers who he's shadowing. So I think that that is where it starts. But one of the reasons that was so effective last week for the Panthers is that the pass rush has been stepping up. So you've got Randy Gregory, who's really having a productive season. He had two sacks last week, and even before that was drawn, holding um, calls penalties and um I, I just think this defense is working together so much better than it did last year. The communication's on another level. Are they perfect? No, they're still allowing big plays. Um but the one defense is night and day different. And I think that um it's it's just coming together and, and they're opportunistic. They might give you a bunch of plays but then have that drive filling back on third down. So it'll be interesting, especially after Daniel Jones had such a great game in New Orleans last week. I look forward to seeing what they can do, but it's kind of one of those games where you feel like Daniel Jones could put up another 300-plus yards, but also maybe have one or two picks if he's not careful, and that'll be fun to see what the chess match brings us. Yeah, that, that's the one thing Jones has been very careful. The only interception on his season was the end of the, ha- end of the first half in New Orleans on a Hail Mary, so he is protecting the football uh, and then obviously he had that fumble in week one against the Broncos that, that really hurt them. So definitely a matchup. You're going to try to come get the ball away from the Giants. It'll be interesting to see if old friend Jason Garrett continues to attack, attack, attack downfield. Uh, last one for me, which I, I think is really one of the most intriguing players on the field either side, is Micah Parsons. I know so, he's someone the Giants liked in the draft out of Penn State. We know his connection with Saquon Barkley, uh, and that's going to be an interesting exchange or two when they see each other on the field. Uh, early on, my concern was that they were going to give Micah too much too soon, and maybe it would be overwhelming, uh, similar to the way maybe what happened with Isaiah Simmons out in Arizona early on. Right. But it really looks like he's having a big impact in different ways, and he's stepped up in the pass rush capacity. Uh, when Demarcus Lawrence got hurt, so what have you seen from Micah? And uh, you know, is he really doing more now than maybe uh, the Cowboys had initially planned? Absolutely, I'm glad you mentioned Micah because I was wrapping up my defensive answer. I'm like, I didn't mention Micah, um, but Micah is fascinating in large part because he's effective as a linebacker, he's effective off the edge, and he's even been effective rushing from the interior of the A-gap at some point in the game. So um, I think that the Cowboys' game plans have really dictated where he has lined up, also their injuries. But you can expect to see him both. I mean, against the Panthers last week, you saw him as a down linebacker on the first couple downs, and then he's, he's still rushing and getting sacked 
on third down. So the biggest thing is that his closing speed's ridiculous. If you want to go watch play, go watch him chase Dalen Hurts, who fast himself to the sideline on one of his keepers a couple of weeks ago. But Mike is just so versatile, and he's also really risen to the occasion of learning this playbook from every different angle. I mean, you see him, he's got the headset communicating with defensive coordinator Dan Quinn during the game, and you see him getting guys lined up in the right places, even though he's 22 years old and has, what, four games of NFL experience. Right. And then on top, uh, on top of that, it's like they've actually been switching, because as I'm sure NFL fans know, guys typically meet as a team, and then they meet offense, defense, and they meet by position groups. So what do you do with a guy who's both a defensive lineman and a linebacker? Well, Michael will work with one in a meeting and then work with his coaches afterwards for one-on-one instruction to catch up what he missed in the other meeting. So I like to call it this dual curriculum that he's been getting since he's got to the Cowboys and actually wrote about that last week for USA Today. I want to go check it out, which is that they describe Mike as a chess piece as the Terminator who's got every quarterback on his hit list um, and really just as this hybrid, versatile defender who can line up anywhere. And they like that because they say, yes, Micah has a little bit more to learn, but he wants to keep coordinators like Jason Garrett guessing where he's going to be. And one of the reasons I think that's interesting is someone who worked with Jason Garrett for several years and, and I've, got, I've got a good relationship with Jason is that a guy like Randy Gregory, Jason Garrett knows so deeply inside and out. He's got an advantage game planning for him. Certainly he can figure out what Micah Parsons is doing watching the film, but it's not the same advantage from the team he coached for 10 years in Dallas. So I will be very interested to see how the Cowboys try and stop my, or sorry, how the Giants try to stop Micah Parsons. Just awesome, awesome stuff from Jory Epstein of the USA Today Network and the flagship USA Today. Uh, Jory, it's always a pleasure. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Out at Jerry's World, maybe uh, share a, a, a cookie for me before the game. And um, it's always a great place to go cover, and we missed it last year. So uh, thank you again for being on this week. Make sure you check out all of Jory's coverage on uh, the USA Today website and also in print, and make sure you, you look for that story about Logan and Dak. I promise you won't be disappointed. Jory, thanks a lot, and I'll see you Sunday. Thanks so much for having me on. I look forward to seeing you. Special thanks to Jory for doing that. Obviously, as we said in the interview, she'll be back later on this season when the Giants and Cowboys play for a second time at MetLife. You know, listen, this game takes on a whole new meaning because the Giants won the way they did, where they won, where they won and who they beat. Saints are a good team. There are a lot of people in the NFC who figured that the Saints were going to be sitting there at 3-1. and one. Now, I'm not saying the Saints all of a sudden are a Super Bowl contender, but make no mistake, this was a good defense the Giants basically tore into in that second half in overtime. They did what they wanted. And when you go against a team like Dallas now, and this remade defense under Dan Quinn, the interesting part of it will be, can this Giants offense match the Cowboys offense, because it's incredibly explosive between Dak Prescott, the running backs that are going on right now with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. The offensive line is playing well. Boy, I was wrong. As I said to Jory, I thought the offensive line was a bit overrated in the preseason. They've obviously put that to bed. So we go into this weekend 
if the Giants could ever go into Dallas and pull off a win this weekend, that would put them right smack in the middle of the division race again. And down 21-10 with about 11 minutes to go on Sunday, there's no one who would have believed that that would be the case. So they're heading in as six-and-a-half-point underdogs, according to our friends at Tipico. I think the game will be close, but I do think the Cowboys will end up winning by a touchdown. I think it's just a lot to ask this offense to do what it did yet again without making some mistakes against this opportunistic Cowboys defense. And if you had said that about the Cowboys defensively last year, no one would have bought it. They were terrible defense, a a terrible defensive team. But now with the way Trayvon Diggs is being played, uh, I do think that if the Cowboys are too aggressive, I think we might see what happened against Washington with Daniel Jones and the zone read option plays actually having a big impact on Sunday. Not sure if Sterling Shepard or Darius Slayton will be on the field again, so that will put more pressure on Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Toney and John Ross. Uh, I told you back in the summer when we first started having our shows, when we launched All In, John Ross was going to be a sleeper on this team if he could stay healthy. And with Ross, that is a huge question mark as far as his availability. But he's healthy right now, he's available, and what he does to the defense by forcing them to respect his speed opens up the entire middle of the field. Opens it up for Tony, opens it up for Galladay, for Saquon Barkley. Maybe the Giants will get the tight ends more involved this week. So this offense right now, as long as the offensive line, as constituted, continues to play well, they've got a shot to stay in these games, but they have to keep attacking. And at the end of the day, I just think the Cowboys at home, the way they're clicking, I have them by a touchdown. So I'll say 37-30 Cowboys on Sunday, and that's how we'll end up sizing it up. But I will be in Jerry's world, heading to Dallas this weekend, back-to-back trips, New Orleans and Dallas. It's going to be fun. It's always fun going to Jerry's world. Haven't been there in two years. I think the the Giants will kind of take a couple punches early on. Can they limit the Cowboys the way they limited the Saints offensively? Can they shut down the run game, do more in coverage to kind of shake Dak Prescott up a little bit? Uh, But at the end of the day, like I said, I think the Cowboys prevail. Make sure you continue to follow along on Twitter, Art underscore Stapleton. Please go to NorthJersey.com. And if you're not subscribed, find a way to subscribe. Take advantage of our latest offer. This podcast exists because of subscribers to NorthJersey.com. We need you, the consumer. And it's our way of rewarding your engagement with our coverage the passion that you have we try to hold up a mirror and show it right back to you that's why we're all in see you next week